Reformation SDA Church presents the Bible Podcast. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7:30 p.m. for our weekly discussion from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible 2021 with the Bible Unlost. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Bible Unmasked. Now, the Bible Unmasked is a Bible study where we're, we here at Plantation SDA are going through the entire Bible for the year 2021. And every week, our uh, pastors go through and give an overview and answer questions of what we have covered for those passages. So I'm uh, Lenny Anderson, and I am your host for this evening. Our uh, study airs on Sunday evenings at 7.30 Eastern, and you can uh, view it on YouTube and PlantationSDA.tv, and you can view the reading plan that's shared weekly during our Sabbath services and on social media. We just invite you and your family, your friends, your coworkers, invite them as well. And you can text your questions in advance to 954-388-8780. And as I mentioned, our uh, pastors are here to uh, discuss those questions with you and answer uh, all those longings of your heart accordingly. So uh, this evening, I just want to go ahead and uh, welcome and introduce our presenter for this evening, Pastor Paul Anderson. Welcome, Pastor Paul. Thank you. Okay, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. So we would like to uh, have a word of prayer. Pastor Paul, could you take us to the throne, please? Yes. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word as it declares who Jesus is to the world. He is a savior and a redeemer. And we, we love to open those pages and, and see the character of Jesus shining brightly. Father, we can see it in the stories, in the lives and, and, and testimonies of those who have gone before. And Father, I pray that as we go through this review, that it would be helpful, it would be, it would be meaningful to all of us so that we can improve in some area of our lives and be better suited for the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, so um, for this reading this week, what was covered, um, we, we went through um, 1 Samuel 19, through to 2 Samuel 11. And um, last week's reading, we covered uh, Ruth 1 to 1 Samuel 18. And so that leads us up to where we are now. So can you just give us, uh, Pastor Paul, a overview of what we covered last week and so we can go into uh, this week's? Absolutely. Uh, Pastor McCoy gave us a nice uh, overview of our study, which included uh, the relationships between a Moabite family and an Israelite family. And we see the interrelations uh, taking place between Ruth and Naomi, uh, 
We see uh, Ruth and Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. And uh, we also witness the start of a monarchy in Israel and Saul being set up as king and David also being anointed. Okay, so that would lead us to where we are now. So can you give us an overview of what we're to expect in this discussion, what we covered this week? So uh, in our this week's study, we're actually looking at uh, Saul, we're looking at Samuel, uh, King Saul that is, uh, the prophet Samuel, as well as uh, David. Uh, these are the, the three main characters that we see coming out of this study and uh, some interesting questions that we're going to look at this week. Okay. So let's go ahead and start with our discussion and our first question. So it comes from 1 Samuel 19, verse 9, and it says, But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Samuel as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre. Why would God send a distressing spirit to someone to torment him? Excellent question. Uh, let's notice first that because Saul was no longer listening to the Lord, God directed the prophet Samuel to anoint David as king in place of Saul. Uh, now, the Bible also tells us that when Samuel poured the, ho the holy uh, oil on the young shepherd, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So, uh, we also see in verse 14, it says that the spirit of the Lord left Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, if we were to set aside uh, the phrase from the Lord uh, for a second and then focus in part of the verse that says the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, uh, we would be able to deduce that it was the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit that left. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's right. And the Holy Spirit came on David, okay, through his anointed. And when God's Spirit goes out of a person, we know that the devil, the, the Spirit of the devil goes in. How do we know that? Uh, well, in Matthew 12, verse 30, it says, he that is not with me is against me, okay? So no one is neutral. Everyone has varying degrees of either God's spirit or the spirit of the enemy. And to the same extent that we empty ourselves of self, God can fill us with his spirit. Now, when the Bible says that a spirit from the Lord troubles Saul, it doesn't mean that God said, I've got a devil and I'm going to give it to you, okay? <laughs> now, as evidence, we, when we look at the story of Job, when the devil came to the Lord and wanted to plague Job, he couldn't do anything until God had withdrawn his protection. I'm sure you, you all remember that. And after God withdrew his protection from Job, he said, he is in your hands, but save his life. And that's in uh, Job 2, verse 6. And then the next verse 
uh, goes on to say, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils. Now, when the Bible says, we're, we're bringing it home here. When the Bible says that an evil spirit came from the Lord, it means that God withdrew his protection from Saul after Saul rejected him. Okay, when God withdrew his protection from Saul, these devils were allowed to bring depression on him. And I, I'm sure we can testify that when when we drift from the Lord, when we uh, when we fail to spend time in prayer and, and study of His Word and, and, and in the spiritual disciplines, we feel uh, estranged from the Lord. Okay, now it doesn't mean that uh, the Spirit of God has left us. Uh, however, in 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 this instance, uh, Saul had essentially left the presence of the Lord, okay? And, and God withdrew his protection. Now, the Bible says that God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to, to handle, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be, may be able to bear it. So, this really means that although God will allow you to be tempted, he's not doing the tempting, okay? Right. And James 1 verse 13 confirms that. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God allows temptation to come in order to strengthen our characters, but he does not send a temptation. Right, okay. So um, that leads us into um, the next question where this comes from 1 Samuel 19, 24. So it says, he stripped off his garments and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all day and all night. Is, this is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? So the question is, is this a normal manifestation for someone that prophesies? Can God use anyone, even a non-Christian or someone who has strayed away from him as a prophet? That's, that's a very good question. Uh, and there's several ways we can answer this. Um, I'm, I'm going to focus in a, in a bit into what uh, I really want to say about this. But if we look at... If we look at um, prophets in the Bible, we saw where there were good prophets and bad prophets. Okay, you had you had Balaam. Was Balaam a prophet of God? Yes, but but what did he do? He tried. He was he was uh, deceived, and he went after after money. He saw an opportunity to get rich. And he decided to go after money. Now, with that desire, um, he had to essentially, uh, he was being asked by the king to, to curse God's people. And though he wanted to curse, he wanted to curse the people. He, he couldn't. Job. He, was he wanted to do the job, but he couldn't. What does that tell us? That tells us that even someone who is 
appointed by God to be a prophet can stray, okay? Can stray and, and go down the wrong path. Well, I think a prophet is basically someone who is commissioned to give a certain message, mm -hmm. you know? So that's why you see where you can have like bad prophets or good prophets. Sure. There has to be like a, you know, God is trying to send a certain message, even using that person. Absolutely. And, and uh, Balaam is a great example because um, we see both sides of the spectrum. But um, can someone who is not a believer become a prophet? God can use anyone who is willing to be used by him. Okay. Now, Saul, we know that Saul, uh, by virtue of his position, was essentially um, a prophet because he was commissioned by God. Okay. He was commissioned and his 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 title as king uh, meant that he was placed there uh, over Israel by God. Now we know that the gift of prophecy is a great gift, but and and it was possessed uh, by Saul. But Saul, an evil king, prophesied at the at the very time he was persecuting David. Okay, let's look at it in context now. So we know that uh, even though his prophecy was true uh, of David, that he would become king, he knew that David would become king. Um, he was fearful about that. He, he did not, he was not in agreement. Okay, so even though he was prophesying uh, the truth, he was not happy that uh, that was the declaration, but he had to declare the truth. <laughs> he had right, right. he had no choice in the matter. Okay, so our next question is from Samuel, First uh, Samuel twenty uh, twenty eight and twenty nine, and. We're talking about um, here, Jonathan then answered Saul, uh, David earnestly asked to leave to go to Bethlehem. For he said, please let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now if I've found favor in your sight, please let me get away to see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. So Jonathan was basically answering Saul to say why David was not there. And so the question is, Jonathan obviously lied to his father. Is that commendable? Well, uh, we know that Jonathan and David were best friends. Okay. Jonathan loved David. David loved Jonathan. Okay. They were inseparable. They were, they were buddies you know, and uh, they looked out for each other. Now, there was obviously um, uh, a delicate balance between, uh, you know, Jonathan looking at this thing uh, politically, and he was also looking at his uh, social relationship uh, with, with David. And the, the, the fact is that um, David was not absent for, uh, you know, attending, or I should say, 
David always attended uh, his, his duties. He always took care of his responsibilities. Uh, but of course, in this instant, he knew that uh, Saul was after his life. Right. So this was like more like a test. Right. Yeah. It was definitely okay. a test. So they, you know, like they agreed. Of course. Beforehand, you know. Indeed. And uh, David had to uh, withdraw himself. He had to remove himself because he had to preserve his life. He knew that he would, he would eventually become king. Uh, but the question is, um, is what Jonathan did commendable? Uh, well, I would say yes. In, in, in light of this great um, peril, Jonathan, know, knowing that his father uh, was out to destroy um, his best friend, he had to find a way to to save him, and um, and I think he did his his best in this situation. Right. So, in wisdom, you know, he he did what was necessary, knowing that you know Saul is not acting in a way that is uh, reasonable. Correct. That's right. Okay. So. Um, our next question is from 1 Samuel 21.4. So the, the priest replied, we don't have any regular bread, but there is that holy bread which you have if your young men have not slept with any women recently. The question is, A, can we eat leftover communion bread when we are hungry? And B, shall we be abstinent to partake in the Lord's communion? Two good questions. Uh, now, from this point on in the narrative, we see that David is a fugitive from Saul's court, okay? And during this time, Saul's active pursuit of David forces him to be constantly on the run. But this seeming hardship is, is a, in fact, a blessing. That in the trying, in the trying times that David had to uh, go through, to be the king of Judah and Israel, he had to make some very, very, very uh, tough decisions. And in our text, David must rely on his wits. And in this case, falsely represent himself to the priest at Nob in order to obtain food and weapons, okay? While David's lie is troubling, the text invites us to see God's support of his anointed in these mundane activities. And David eats the holy bread of the presence and wields the symbolic holy sword of Goliath, rendered sacred as the spoil of the holy war in chapter 17. So in essence, we see David having to eat the bread in order again to preserve life. Now, considering the, the, the situation that he was in, certainly plausible that he would have to do that. Uh, but do we eat the, is there a, any situation where we would eat the Holy Communion bread um, outside of a ceremony uh, that, we, that we partake in uh, once per quarter? No. No, not at all. We, we don't partake of any leftover bread 
uh, when we're hungry. And uh, the second question was, should we be absent to partake of the Lord's communion? I believe it is important as we reflect on the fact that as we participate in this ceremony, we are paying homage to our Savior, Jesus Christ, what he did for us. Uh, for us to neglect doing so, I think certainly we're missing out on a great blessing for ourselves and our families. Okay. So um, this next question is a part of... Um, is, is, is a part of that same um, section of the story. So in 1 Samuel 21, verse six, uh, it says, so the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Wasn't what Ahimelech did contrary to God's law? So uh, the high priest was bound to preserve David's life. And even in this situation, even at the expense of a ceremonial rule, okay? So it's not that the priest wanted to give David the bread that was really set aside for a specific purpose, but uh, as, as priest, he had to preserve David's life. Okay. So, um, let's see. Uh, so now we're talking about um, David and when he had uh, encountered Saul in, um, in the cave. And so David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? So... Is what David did right? Should we um, should we also take the same attitude when we are uh, dealing with um, pastors and God's appointed servants? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, what David did, uh, you have to understand that he had a very sensitive conscience. He recognized that King Saul was appointed by God. He was anointed by God, okay? And even though he had strayed, even though he, he made some really poor decisions, um, it, he was, David was, was so, so caught up in the moment that he realized, no, I cannot touch God's anointed, okay? Uh, because he's still in this position, and 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 so he 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 pulled back. He said, "You know what? Um, I'm not going to move forward with this because uh, this this <laughs> I have not gotten a, a 
a directive from the Lord to take his life because, again, he's still in this position. Right, and and God says vengeance is mine, right? That's so, right. You know, that doesn't give us the right to go ahead and, and uh, make our own choices in, in that case. That's correct. So um, our next question is from uh, 1 Samuel 25, 19. And this is uh, talking of Abigail. So then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Is it all right for a wife to take action without the knowledge of her husband? <laughs> so we know the story of, of Nabal. Nabal was a very perverse um, and obstinate man. Um, and he was, you know, Abigail, knowing that he was in this disposition, uh, she knew that she couldn't reason with him and or even persuade him. And she couldn't bring him to make a proper decision. So this would very well uh, excuse the conduct of Abigail in what she did. And taking and disposing of her husband's gods without his knowledge and leave was certainly plausible here. You know, Abigail had to do what was best for her family. She made a very wise and prudent uh, decision. And the case required haste. She had to act quickly. And it was done to preserve him and, and, and the family with, with, from imminent ruin. You know, certainly what Nabal did uh, was going to bring total ruin on the entire family. So I think what Abigail did was, was completely commendable. Um, and certainly, you know, sometimes I know my wife has to do things without my knowledge because it's best for our family um, and, and, and vice versa. And I, I know the question is, is more specific to uh, Abigail being uh, Nabal's wife. Uh, it's a life and death And it was a life uh, and situation, death situation. You know, right. that, that uh, she had to act. Right. Yeah. So um, this goes right into the next question about um, Abigail and david so it says then abigail aro uh, quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her and she followed the messengers of david and became his wife so david had also taken um at a home of zareel and they both became his wives david had multiple wives can i embrace polygamy well, first, let me say, if you want to embrace polygamy, uh, you cannot do that in America, okay? Uh, there are actually other countries uh, around the world that embrace, I know there, there's, there are certain um, countries in Africa even that allow that, but polygamy, though not agreeable to the law of nature, nor the law of God, was a custom that prevailed in those times. Um, and even good men, you know, good men like Abraham, David, um, stalwarts in the Bible, 
they 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 gave into this practice but it was they were not commended for it okay there was there was no point where they were commended as it being a great thing for them to do right we we saw like more times than not it caused so much conflict in the Indeed. family and um you know i think it played on probably the leadership role of right. many of these men as priests in the home so that's right that's Absolutely. an important thing i think okay so um we also have uh so um david and his men they they spent their time raiding many of the peoples around um, who lived near Sir toward the land of Egypt since the ancient times. And um, David did not leave one person alive in the villages he attacked. He took the sheep, the goat, the cattle, the donkeys, camels, and clothing before uh, returning home to see King Eklish. Why did David kill innocent people who did not do anything to him but spare Saul's life? Now, this is a... I don't want to say a tricky question, but uh, we knew that we knew that David, uh, in defense of his territory, sought out these warrior tribes. Okay, uh, and he was slaughtering both men and women. He left no one alive. Okay, and in the process, he took away. Uh, oxen, sheep, asses, camels, and clothware, most of which they themselves uh, were obtained by the same method, meaning uh, these tribes would have plundered other, other groups and, you know, taken all their belongings from them. Now, all knew back then that the, like, People like the Amalekites, who were left alive, would simply join up with similar tribes, uh, strengthen each other, and raid on innocent people. Simply join up with other tribes would allow them to, to become powerful and take out uh, innocent lives. So they were, they were probably as fierce as the men, David and his men were fierce, okay? And when they carried out uh, their missions, they did so with exactness, okay? Was, was David and his men taking out uh, innocent lives? Probably not, because we, knew, we know that these tribes were connected to tribes like the Amalekites. And... And these were not tribes called by God. You know, David would not mistake a tribe that was set aside by God and destroy that group of people. Um, so, you know, by David completely destroying these tribes, it would uh, simply prevent any vicious future attacks from occurring that makes a lot of sense um also because you know these tribes they're they're heathen as you mm -hmm. said that these are the practices that they have so right. you know that does make a lot of sense 
Okay, so our next question is uh, from 1 Samuel uh, 28, verse 6. So it says, he asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Is there something wrong with us when we don't receive dreams from God? Okay, so the Bible, the Bible tells us how we hear from God. I think the broader question that is being asked here is, uh, do we still hear from God? And if so, in what ways, okay? The Bible tells us that in, in, in Hebrews uh, 1 verse 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, we should never neglect uh, praying and meditating on God's word. As we meditate on scripture and we pray for God's direction and understanding, we then hear from God, okay? When we feed daily on the Bible, the Holy Spirit, points us to truths that we know are from God because they come directly from his word. And it is a privilege for us to have God's word readily available to us. Uh, so in essence, if we want to hear from God, all we need to do is open his word. And through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, this will be God speaking. It is literally God's word from Genesis to Revelation that speaks to us in many ways. Okay, so we, we don't need to feel bad if we don't actually dream dreams or anything like that because, you know, God speaks to us in, in the way that he sees fit. Absolutely. Okay, so our next question is uh, from 1 Samuel 28, 11 through 15. Finally, uh, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? So uh, here he's talking to the, um, the witch of Endor. And Saul says, um, call up Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, you have deceived me. You are Saul. So um, Saul had concealed himself. Um, Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a God coming out of the earth, she said. What does he look like, Saul asked. He is an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. And Saul realized that it was Samuel. He fell to the ground before him. And the um, Samuel said, why have you disturbed me by calling me back? Because I am, deep, I am in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called for you to tell me what to do. So the question is, can the dead come back and speak to us? Very good question. Now, um, Job 14 verses 12 and 21 tells us, man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. His sons come to honor and he does not know it. They are brought low and he does not perceive it. 
And then in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 6, the Bible tells us, Nevermore will they have a share in anything under the sun. Okay? So uh, we know we, we know the story quite well. Um, Saul had uh, walked out from the presence of the Lord. He had uh, abandoned his role. And uh, as, as a king and a prophet, of the Lord, he had he had left his relationship with God, and uh, as a result, he sought after the witch of Endor. And um, I know we're going to get into it a little further, but basically, he wanted to speak to Samuel, uh, which was not possible. So he he decided that he was going to use a witch. To make that possible. So can the dead come back and speak to us? Certainly not. Um, according to the Bible. So um, this, this next question is connected to that. So um, in 1 Samuel 28, 19, it says, The Lord will deliver both Israel into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. So this is the Spirit answering um and basically answering Saul's request of him and the Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the, the Philistines so the question is if the spirit that spoke to Samuel uh, to Saul rather wasn't Samuel how did he know what was going to happen to Saul ah very good question now King Saul we know again was at his wit's end and he was trembling with fear uh why because the entire philistine army had gathered to attack israel's smaller and weaker troops so saul moaned if only samuel you know was here he would tell me what to do but the great prophet of israel had died a few years earlier and the bible says then said saul unto his servants seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. That's in 1 Samuel 20, verse 7. Now we know that God had commanded his people never to consult a witch or a medium, but Saul now had little regard for God's implicit instruction. So when Saul found uh, this woman in Endor who claimed to consult with the dead, uh, the king disguised himself. He did not want to be known as right. an Israelite, as the king, right. um, even, you know. He, he knew he was in the wrong place. He knew he was in the wrong place, <laughs> right? And he said, you know, please bring up for me Samuel. And, uh, you know, the, the, the witch went through her spells and incantations and enchantments. Um and what appeared was an apparition claiming to be Samuel, uh, the prophet. But um, it predicted, and it predicted that Saul and his three sons would die in battle that next day. Now, we know that, yes, that took place where the following day Saul's sons were slain by the Philistines and afterward, the wounded and discouraged king 
Saul fell on his sword and took his life. We, we, we found that in 1 Samuel 31, 2 through 4. So who spoke to Saul uh, through the witch? Was it a resurrected prophet of God or a devil in disguise? We know that a witch cannot uh, uh, bring the spirit of God uh, to speak through a, a deceptive manner, okay? Um, Saul knew that the, the request that he was making was not of the Lord. It was not a request that you would make, a reasonable request, that is, that you would make um, thinking that it, it was coming from the Lord. He asked the witch. So we know it was certainly a devil in disguise. Okay, so our next question comes from 1 Samuel 31-12. And um, here it says, All their valiant men marched through the night to Beth Shan, and they took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Beth Shan, and went to Jabesh, and there they burned him. Burned them, sorry. Was that a case of cremation? Should we cremate our dead? So that, that question, and, uh, you know, the Bible does not really give us any mandate on how to bury. Um, there are many examples of people in the Bible being burned. Um, you know, Jonathan, an example, uh, because he was burned. You know, the Philistines uh, uh, burned his body, mutilated uh, his body and, and burned his body. But we know that from, from what the Bible tells us, that our bodies essentially return to the ground. Uh, we become ashes. You know, when, when we uh, bury our dead, you will hear the pastor say, um, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Okay, which simply suggests that the body is being committed to the ground. It, that's, that's, uh, that's, those are the elements, I should say, uh, that make up our body. But God does not need the stuff that makes our body to resurrect us. Um, it, it is really our character. When God re um, returns, when Jesus returns uh, for the second time, he does not need the stuff that, that made us originally to bring us back to life. Not at all. All he needed is our character because we're going to have a perfect body. We're going to have uh, a, an immortal soul at that point in time. So, um, you know, people, there, there are many customs, different customs out there. Uh, there are some customs that uh, there's in no in no way, shape, or form can you cremate a body, <laughs> you know? And, and there are certain customs that they, uh, that's what they do, you know? Um, it, 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 you know, the Bible is very silent on whether we should uh, bury a body whole or um, cremate a body. Um, I mean, what I was going to comment was that uh, I think 
um, you know, like how we bury our dead is more about respect for their life, you know, mm -hmm. not, not necessarily, um, you know, whether or not they're going to be with the Lord or, you know, like some things are, are connected that way. And I think in this case where um, the bodies were of Saul and his sons were burned right. was, you know, out of utmost respect because of how their bodies were treated by their enemies. Sure. You know, that at that point, that was what was, you know, I think done um, in a way that they think was best to treat, you know, as treatment of the bodies at that point and of memorializing Saul and his sons. Absolutely. So our um, our next question, it comes from 2 Samuel uh, 6, verse 7, and it says, The, Lord, the Lord's anger uh, burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Why did God kill Uzzah? Now, the Bible text is not clear about the exact nature of the accident that led Uzzah to touch the ark. Um, the text suggests that something happened to the oxen. Uh, perhaps they stumbled or uh, became unyoked. Um, and apparently the ark moved. Uzzah immediately reacted and reached out and took hold of the ark. Um, God reacted, striking down Uzzah, and he died. Now, the text gives us a reason for God's drastic action. In verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. So, you know, it's, it's impossible to know the mental state of Uzzah as, as he reached out to seize the ark. And one could argue that he was sincerely interested in protecting it. And in that case, the Lord was revealing to the people that the ends do not justify the means that he can protect his holiness without our uh, disrespectful assistance, okay? So certainly we can look at it and say, well, you know, Uzzah seemed to be reacting uh, in the right way. Of course, we know God is the righteous judge, and he knew uh, why Uzzah needed to, to be struck down. And I'm, and I'm really going to leave it there because, you know, sometimes we like to look into it beyond what is actually revealed. Um, all we know is that uh, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because uh, he made that decision, which in our estimation, it seemed like the right thing to do, but certainly not from God's perspective. And God's perspective is what I value, and I value his, his uh, judgment in that matter. Okay, our, our question comes from 2 Samuel 11, verse 2. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Should we take a midday rest? That's an interesting question. Uh, yes, I believe it is important for us to 
uh, rest because when we fail to rest, we make some very, very uh, rash decisions. Um, and of course, um, you know, rest has so many, so many valuable benefits for our health. Uh, but I think in this specific instance, uh, it definitely provides uh, the ability to make rational decisions um, as well as sound, you know, being in a, in, in a very um, healthy mental state of mind. Okay, so um, in reference to Second Samuel 11, should God have removed David, David from kingship because of uh, sexual abuse? That's also a, a great question. Um, we know that um, at this point in the story, uh, David's life was on a decline, okay? Um, he was at the top of his, at the zenith of his uh, career as king. And uh, in one moment where he was on top of his his palace on the rooftop of his palace, uh, overlooking the city. His eye, eyes locked in on Bathsheba, and uh, from that point on, um, he made some very irrational decisions um, that really, uh, I think, many of us could relate to, because many of us have made some poor decisions uh, in our lives, even detrimental ones. This was a very terrible uh, choice that he made, but it was not the worst decision he could ever make because uh, we see that in Psalms 51, we see him pouring out his heart uh, to God, asking him for forgiveness. And what did God do? God was more than happy to forgive him. Now, now we remember, we do recall where uh, Nathan, the prophet, came to him and uh, in a sense spoke to him in a parable. And David was so enraged, he said, man, uh, who is this person who, who has, has done this injustice? I, you know, bring that person to me. And because he was ready to carry out justice. And then Nathan revealed to him that you, you are this man. So uh, David realized that he had, he, had, he had sinned greatly before the Lord. And what did he do? He humbled himself before God. He, he asked God to forgive him and to create in him a clean heart and renew a right spirit within him. Right. So his, his request was was one of humility one in which he recognized his weakness his failure the fact that he had had completely dishonored uh, the lord in what he had done but he knew he knew that there was hope he knew that he served a god that loved him beyond his mistakes but he was not willing to remain in that space, he decided to 
to move forward. And, 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 and that's why we know that uh, David is a man after God's own heart because of his humility, his love for, for God, because of that, that inseparable bond that they shared. Well, that's, uh, I think that's a wonderful point. Um, that's all the questions that we have time for um, right now, but that was, um, I think, a, a great thought for us to end on, you know, that God doesn't leave us in that state. And, and if we come to him with humility, then, you know, there, there's still hope for us in that moment. So uh, I just want to go ahead and in, invite our viewers to uh, read for the coming week, um, 2 Samuel 12 into 1 Kings chapter 5 uh, for um, our upcoming reading. And you can go ahead and text your questions to 954-388-8780. Um, and once again, the number is 954-388-8780. We encourage you to read daily and go ahead and text those questions in advance. And next week, we are going to have our, uh, our senior pastor, Pastor Joe and LaVon Brown, uh, to discuss the, the section's questions. So, um, Pastor Paul, I just ask you to go ahead and, um, you know, just give us a, uh, a quick uh, one, one sentence about what, you know, we're going to expect for uh, 2 Samuel 12 into 1 Kings uh, 5. Sure. Uh, in essence, we're, we're going to go further into the life of King David, uh, specifically his reign as king and his downward spiral into um, a life of sin and self-destruction. Okay, so thank you, Pastor Paul, and thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of The Bible Unmasked. I want to remind you to subscribe to Plantation uh, SDA's um, YouTube channel to be uh, notified of our future episodes so um, to close, we just like to offer a word of prayer. Um, Pastor Paul, could you pray for us? And uh, to close, thank you. Let us pray, Father in heaven. We thank you so much for this discussion. Uh, thank you for the questions that, that came forward from the reading of your word. I pray, Lord, that we will make sound uh, decisions when it comes to our salvation that we will trust your word and trust that your Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us and directing us towards success. Continue to bless the readers and the doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Have a great week. And we just encourage you as you study and we study together. In Jesus' name. SDA Church presents The Bible and Must. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible 2021 with The Bible and Must.